What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Graveyard. I'm Graveyard Gamer, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Graveyard Gaming. Now, in today's episode, I actually want to take a look at my third pillar of gaming. If you've been following the series for the last couple of weeks, I've talked about my three pillars of gaming. The first one being storytelling, then graphics, and now my third pillar that forms to make a great game, and that is the gameplay. So I want to talk about why is gameplay important, then I want to talk about some great examples of games that have some awesome gameplay. And then it's that time of the month for the Graveyard Shoutout of the Month. And I definitely think this is kind of a very familiar shoutout, if you will. Of course, I want to go over the Graveyard Shift, what I've been playing. And then that also includes another WWE Dream Match to kind of coincide with what recently happened with the Royal Rumble. So with that being said, let's jump in. So gamers, when it comes to gameplay, I have to say it's the final pillar for me behind story, behind graphics, but at the same time, it is one of the strongest points of gaming. Honestly, when it comes down to it, the gameplay is that addicting piece that gets you to come back to a game. Yes, you might be initially floored by the graphics, and yes, you honestly might be so wrapped up in the story that you keep playing, but it is that gameplay that on any other game that you can sit there and go, oh man, it was so fun doing it. Now look, I'll be honest with you, a great example for that to me is Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Now if you listen to my Assassin's Creed episode, it's kind of higher on that list, or lower on that list, whatever you want to say. It's in my upper numbers on my, you know, 10 down type deal. And the reason being is I'm not a big fan of the way the missions played out. However, between the combat which just flows and is absolutely brutal and fun to play as. Then you take into account of when you're being a pirate, you just you feel like a pirate. And it's so much fun to go to the different islands and explore and see what's there. And then you have the ship battles. All of those things right there that make up the gameplay. And they're so fun that, you know what, while I didn't necessarily love the story and playing on a PS3 as opposed to a PS4 when it came out, and, you know, I didn't have the most amazing graphics... At the time, man, like, I still was wrapped up in that gameplay. And that is huge, man, because, hey, if the game wouldn't have been as tight as far as gameplay and that what you're doing in the game wouldn't have mattered so much to me, the story didn't hold my attention, and neither did the graphics. As I'm saying, it looked like a good game. It wasn't, like, a horrible-looking game, but, again, it wasn't, like, mind-blowing, especially when you could look at what, at that time, Next Gen was producing. So... When you think about that, that is what gameplay really is. It is the part of the game that you're going to interact with mostly. Yes, visually, you're going to be looking at those graphics a lot. Mentally, you're going to be taking in the story. And sometimes, you know, as long as the story is there. But it is the gameplay. It is what you are doing. It is how you are pushing that story forward. It is how you are exploring more and more graphics because it is almost the backbone to the game. It is that, that strong pillar that holds up the other two. Now, that's not to say it's not, you know, more it's more important or not more important because at the end of the day, these these pillars can all be interchangeable on in their importance, but when it comes to gameplay, gameplay is very key because if you play the game and the combat is just horrible, it really doesn't matter if the story looks good or the the visuals look good, excuse me, and the story is really good. It is always going to be that like, oh, I'll give you a great example. Werewolf the Apocalypse is coming out very soon. And to be honest with you, when I'm looking at that trailer, it's not necessarily that the graphics aren't blowing me away. I mean, they're not, but they're not really hurting it. The story seems kind of interesting and cool, but it's watching the way it plays. Looking how it just, like, 
just looks like a beat-em-up, but you're a werewolf, and not even like a super awesome beat-em-up, just kind of very bleh. I say that because ultimately, if that gameplay was tight and it made you feel like whatever you were playing as, in that case a werewolf, man, that can really go far. And that's another great example as well as I'm kind of going down that track. Have you ever played a game where the gameplay itself makes you feel like that character? For me, I'll give you a great example. The Spider-Man game, right now I'm playing Miles Morales. Now the cool thing about it is there's a lot of things going on there. There's a lot of cool visuals, there's a lot of cool sounds, there's a great story. But you actually feel like Spider-Man when you're web zipping through the city or you're doing some really cool swings and you're trying to do some tricks and stuff. It feels tight. It feels responsive. When you're Spider-Man and you're zipping around between different people, shooting webs, shooting gadgets, like all of this stuff feels good to the point that you get wrapped into it. You can get zoned into that story. You can take in those graphics because that gameplay has you addicted that you are absolutely enjoying it. Now, I know... Some of that might be a little bit vague. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you guys some examples of some games that have some amazing gameplay. And let me just stress this. Gameplay is not just the controls and the buttons and those kind of things. Again, it is how you interact with that world. The most beautiful game in the world, you look at it, great. If your guy moves like he's on tank controls from back in the day, it's not going to be as fun. <laughs> in fact, I go back to Resident Evil on the PlayStation 1. Resident Evil, the first one, I don't know that I ever beat because I couldn't get past tank controls. Resident Evil 2, I mustered it up to finally get past it. But that's a series of games. Those games, Dino Crisis, a lot of games back then, like I had a hard time getting into because of the controls. Visually, story-wise, I was into. But when it came to that con controls, man, it just hindered me. And then you can look at something like Resident Evil 2 and just how well that controlled and how great of a game I felt that was. But as I said, I want to give you some more examples to show you kind of like how interacting with the world through that gameplay, how it made these games huge. Made them super, you know, some of those games that you just call back on all the time, if you will. Super important, I guess I should say, when it comes to gaming and especially to the Graveyard Gamer. So let's look at some of those games. So gamers, when I'm talking about games that you know, hey, are great examples of that gameplay, of how you're interacting with the world. One of the first examples I have to say is the Batman Arkham series. Let's talk about Batman Arkham Asylum. I mean, this is our first Batman game that is just knocking it out of the park. And not only does it knock it out of the park, but it also makes you feel like Batman. And again, it's not just necessarily the controls, but that combat system was so good and so revolutionary. Here we are, 12 years later, look how many games have sat there and started doing that. And, and over the last 12 years, use that model to base their combat off of. But again, it's not just about combat. It's not just about the button mashes. It's also about interacting with the world. Look at the Riddler trophies and how addicting those were and the riddles that you could find in the game. Then you've got all the different gadgets and trying to find out new ways to take people down stealthily in combat. And then let's look at it as a whole. Because this is a game that can really pass the test of the three pillars of gaming for me because you've got this great gameplay. You feel like Batman. It's an awesome experience walking around Arkham Asylum and kind of putting things together. You've got a great story. And then on top of that, you have a really good-looking game back in 2009. Boom. And hey, there's enough Game of the Year awards for that game to back up that theory on the three pillars. But we're here to talk more specifically about gameplay. And Batman did. It did it great. It made you part of that world. But there's another gameplay gimmick I want to talk about, and that is in Dead Rising, the original one on the 360. 
I have to tell you, that is a game that made me get a 360. To be honest with you, going into that generation, I really wasn't sure. I, I thought I was going to get a PS3 and a 360, no big deal. But I remember seeing Dead Rising in the summer of 2005 in a preview magazine, and I said, I got to get it. That following April, I go ahead, I get me a, I'm sorry, it was actually in March, I got me an Xbox 360, was so excited because I, th I believe it was in April or May, Dead Rising was coming out, and then of course it got delayed, but when I finally got it, I loved it. But here's the catch about Dead Rising, when I started playing it, I actually was a little taken back by that timer. See, there's only that one save file, and you have a certain timer. Not doing things in a particular order could cause you to either A, miss out on the rest of the story, and you just have to wait till the helicopter comes, or mess out on some side content. There's all kind of things that kind of changed the way you played the game and how you approached it. I played through that game multiple times because maybe I wanted to do these side missions and it meant stopping and not moving forward with the main story. Maybe I wanted to complete the main story and a few things to get this ending. All of that to me was awesome. It gave you just that little bit of pressure that you needed to be doing what you needed to do. I thought it was fantastic. A lot of people over the years didn't, and in fact, when Dead Rising 4 came out, they actually took it away, which is cool, but I gotta say, and, and I loved it being kind of more free roam in Dead Rising 4, just to put it out there, but Dead Rising and that timer, I thought, was a really cool gameplay addition to what could have just been a empty sandbox zombie killing experience. It made it stand out. Now, Shadow of Mordor. Let me tell you this. That was the game that as I'm kind of waiting, you know, I waited about a year to get my PS4. As I'm waiting, I'm going, dude, I am not playing that on PS3. I am waiting to PS4. And the reason was simply put, the Nemesis system. That style of taking somebody over and kind of building an army within an army, sending them out to do things. I could not wait to do that. I thought it seemed fantastic. And I'm here to tell you, that was the first game I played on my PS4, and I absolutely Loved it. It was my first Platinum on PS4 as well because I was so hooked on it. I mean, one, you've got a great combat system, which, by the way, takes its cues from the Batman Arkham series. You've got a great loot system. And again, this is another gameplay mechanic because this is what is pushing you forward. You're wanting the better loot to help you out, to go further in that game, to be stronger, what, what not, what have you. You've got awesome collectibles, but it's that Nemesis system where you're fighting these guys and you get them weak and you say you're now part of my army and they work for you. Guys, I gotta tell you, that was hugely, hugely addicting. And that is the big thing because, hey, there's another game that, you know, graphically, the game looked good, but it wasn't absolutely amazing. It wasn't a graphical stunner even on the PS4. Story-wise, it was really cool, but it wasn't exactly the best story I've ever seen. But that gameplay really made it hold up those other two pillars now again those other two pillars were not weak by any means but that gameplay of the loop of just fighting and loot and being you know better and finding stuff but then you throw that nemesis system and it just took it to a whole nother level if nemesis system wasn't in the shadow of mordor game i gotta say i probably wouldn't have thought it was amazing i probably would have thought it was an okay game but that nemesis system guys absolutely fantastic and to this day i'm kind of confused we haven't seen it used more often in gaming. But let's go with another game that I think really sets the mood, and that is Red Dead Redemption 2. Now you're like, what are you talking about with Red Dead 2? Quite frankly, we've had plenty of sandbox games, but this game made you slow down. Rockstar wanted you not to just fly through this game like it's a Grand Theft Auto game. They wanted you to slow down, and almost, in my opinion, I've always kind of considered it 
probably the closest Rockstar will ever go to making a role-playing game because you were Arthur Morgan. When you wanted to loot somebody, you couldn't just walk up, hit Y, and keep moving on. No. You had to hold the button down, and Arthur would dig through the pockets to pull stuff out. You wanted to pick up something in the environment, you picked it up, and you actually moved it in your hand. These are small things, but these are things that made you feel like that character. And I thought that was really cool. Like, I think that helped me really get into Arthur Morgan as a character and really want to do stuff because I was so into it. You went into your camp, man, you could talk to everybody. You went out just exploring in the world, the gameplay was full of fun stuff to explore, so that allowed you, again, to really get into it. And then the gunfights were amazing because, hey, we can't just talk about when gun gameplay is, just the actual fighting and the shooting and all that kind of stuff with games. And this had a very tight system for that. So again, sometimes it's just as simply as, hey man, when you're playing the game, it's just awesome to control. Or in the case with Arthur Morgan, they slowed you down to make you do those little things to kind of really, in my opinion, connect you even more so with the game that you're playing. So what about something else? What about something a little different? Well, how about this? How about South Park? And I'm going to go with the fractured but whole. And why do I say that? Because I didn't play turn-based RPGs for years, but I've talked about it before. This is a game that took somebody that doesn't like playing that style, but had that grid-based combat done in a way that actually brought me into playing it and absolutely loving it to the point that I went and I played the Stick of Truth. That is also very important because sometimes it is just the very basics. How do you play? How do you fight type deal? This is a game that nailed it because if it's able to take somebody who has spent the better part of 20-something years not playing, maybe even 30 years not playing games that control this way and getting them to absolutely love it and recommend it over and over again, that tells you that that team did an absolutely amazing job with the core gameplay. And then you talk about core gameplay. What about the gameplay that's just on a loop? The gameplay that you just keep playing. I talked about the word addicting. That is just addicting. Guys, that is how I consider Death Stranding. And I'm not talking about the fights that you get into. I'm not talking about the stealth that you have to use at times. I'm talking straight up going, hey, I can go to this place and I can deliver this package, pick up a package and take it to this guy, then pick up a package from him and go back to the original guy and figure out how to make all those things happen, how to build up your cred with everybody. And on top of that, figure out, hey, the best route. How should I manipulate the map to get to where I want to go? How should I sit there and use this tool the best way? I'm telling you guys, if you haven't played Death Stranding, that gameplay loop they have is just absolutely addicting because it makes you really stop and think. I, I had barely any fights in that game, and I'll tell you, I've, I've said it a few times, that game, having little fighting and really being about just the joy of delivering and exploring and figuring out your way to walk around this system kind of helped me out because I was almost burned out of action games at that time. So definitely something like that is important. And the last one I'm going to go to, actually, I'm going to give you two more. One is Metal Gear Solid on the original PlayStation Ultimately, you could put a lot of Metal Gears on here, but I have to go with the original one, and that is because, think about that game when it came out. That game really had this awesome story, but it was the gameplay itself that really got people into it. Remember, you could walk up behind somebody and grab them with the square, and if you kept pressing it over and over again, you would actually break their neck? That was kind of a big deal. The fact that you had to have stealth over action, another big deal, and the fact that the stealth was so tight huge impact on me as a gamer and a lot of gamers out there when that game originally came out. But last but not least, 
I have to say, this game introduced a gameplay style to the masses that changed gaming forever. And that is Grand Theft Auto 3 in its sandbox style gaming. The game that said, hey, you know what? You want to go do a mission? Cool. You just want to go cause random chaos? Go for that. Guys, this wasn't maybe the first example of a sandbox game, but it was the first one that really got people to pay attention to it. It was the first one that was this massive critical and uh, fan success that people said, man, you got to play this game. I remember playing the game the first time and just doing a bunch of little jobs back and forth, playing it very linear until somebody said, dude, that's not how you play. Go have fun in the game. Go enjoy the game world. That is part of the gameplay. Again, it is how you are experiencing that world. The combat was great, but it's just running around, driving around, causing your own chaos, having your own fun, making your own story. That is the big part of gameplay right there. It is just about how that game connects you with the world. Whether it be the controls, the different systems it has, or just simply put, the world that it gives you and the way you get to affect it. That is the importance of gameplay. Well gamers, what have I been doing on the graveyard shift? Well, you can tell the reviews out there, you can tell me at Lost at Sea Gaming, another podcast here on Anchor. We actually put out a Hitman franchise episode under Graveyard Discussions. You can check that out as well. But you know that I completed Hitman 3. Well, this week going into it, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to pick a level and kill everybody in it. Now, I think ultimately, my goal is at some point in the future, go through the level where you're at the manor. I really think that'll be a lot of fun. However, I'm not there yet. I got to work my way to that. So I wanted to do something and go after everybody on that train level, which is the last level of Hitman 3. I gotta say, I did get into a couple hairy spots, but I was able to get past it, and I completed it. I killed everybody in a true hitman, psychopathic kind of way. It was just a cool thing to do. I'm not gonna lie. have no idea why I was so impelled to do that. I'll probably never do something like, you know, going after everybody in Dubai or going back to Hitman 2 for the Miami level or anything like that, but... Like I said, the manor seems like it would be just challenging enough, just time-consuming enough, that it would be a fun reward if I can accomplish it. So, hey, keep watching the graveyard shift to see if I actually do that at some point in time. But at the same time, I did switch over, and a few hours, a couple hours this week, I did play some Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I had a lot of fun just kind of exploring East Anglia. I'm still just waiting. I'm apprehensive to start the next uh, story missions up because what I want to do is I want to just clear out all the loot that I can, all the mysteries and the artifacts, and just kind of work my way through there. What it is, is since I'm not really playing the game a lot right now, I wanted it to stay somewhat fresh. I wanted to make sure that I didn't get tired of it and I was still excited to play it. I gotta tell you something, after the little bit of time I played, I'm definitely ready to get back to Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I can't wait to start the next story arc. I can't wait to keep exploring that world. I I mean, I'm loving the game. I know originally I was kind of put off by the combat, but I think once you kind of get the handle of two-handed weapons and Especially once you get the skill to hold, you know, two heavy weapons and kind of learn some of those more finer combat techniques. I love the combat in this game, so can't wait to get to it. However, what's holding it from being my main game, what's kind of keeping it as like a side piece right now, is because I am a good bit into Spider-Man Miles Morales. At this point in time, I think I have three main missions left. I think I have three side missions left as well, but other than that... I've done all the side stuff in the game. I've done all the collectibles and all whatnot. I think there's one more collectible that'll become available post 
uh, main missions or post, you know, story. And at that point, I'll collect them. I wanted to run through it and get that platinum. However, I did look at the trophy list and I seen that, oh, one of them is for actually completing the game in New Game Plus. Look, I have no problem doing that. I want to. It just probably won't happen right now. I'll probably beat the game, get that last collectible. So then at that point, all I'll have is a few combat, you know, miscellaneous trophies and the one for completing it on um, New Game Plus. And obviously, like, the skills and the suits, because some of them are tied behind New Game Plus. But I'll probably shift that game to a summertime game and come back to it. And at that point, I will incorporate Assassin's Creed Valhalla more as my main game. But right now, I just have to tell you something. I am definitely enjoying Miles Morales. I do hope to get a review for you next week or the week after. Now, that being said, I did do one more side piece game this week. And it was time for another WWE Dream Match. So guys, in this WWE Dream Match, after what happened at the Royal Rumble, where my man Edge came back after a year on the shelf, after being out of wrestling for so long, came back... Not only won the Royal Rumble, but he won it at the number one position. I had to play him in a match. And I thought to myself, all right, who am I going to go against? He's got three choices right now. He could go against Drew McIntyre, a great WWE champion in his own right. Finn Balor, the NXT champion. That would be a cool match. But ultimately, man, Universal Champion Roman Reigns has been on a roll. He has been one bad cat lately. And I thought the ultimate opportunist edge, the rated R superstar versus... The head of the table, Roman Reigns, for the WWE Universal Championship sounded like an amazing match. And in real life, I think that's the way it'll go. And I think it'll be a really great match as well. I mean, both of them even have the spear as a finisher. I mean, it's just bound to happen, right? So let's talk about the match. So the match starts off, and I'm playing his edge in the beginning. And I gotta say, I'm doing pretty strong. I'm knocking him down with clotheslines and big moves, drop kicks, suplexes, all kind of great stuff. The problem is, I went for a move... And I completely missed it. Roman Reigns was able to counter. I went slamming right into the turnbuckle. At that point, since Edge is down, I decide it's time to switch over. Play as Roman Reigns. And as Roman Reigns, I was as brutal as Roman Reigns has been in real life. I managed to throw him out of the ring. And I picked up Edge. I powerbombed him on the ring apron. And then I did a really cool move where I held on to him. And I swung him into the same ring apron. Crashing him hard into his side. I beat him down, power bombs, sunset flips, I mean, just all kind of cool stuff. Had him slammed into the announce table, brought him back into the ring, but this is when things happen. As I brought him back into the ring, I had my spear set up, and I ran for it, and as soon as I got close, Edge countered me. I went crashing into the turnbuckle. Okay? Per the way I play the game, at that point, I switched back over to Edge. Now it's Edge. I've got a finisher build up because he had countered me. So boom, I hit Roman Reigns with the finisher right out the gate. Got that spear, picked him up. Now I've got a comeback move. So that's what I do, man. I go for the comeback. I slam him down with a couple of clotheslines. Boom, boom, boom. Got a finisher. I hit him with the DDT that Edge does as a signature. Then I go into the corner and I wait for him. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Edge is doing his thing. He's putting his hands up. Come on, come on. And boom, I run right into him and I connect with the spear. I go for the pin. One, two, three. Edge has won the Universal Championship. I thought it was fantastic. Now, I'll tell you this right now. The match kind of surprised me. It was over so quick because of the fact that, man, I was beating the tar out of Edge as Roman Reigns. And when I switched over, granted, I did do some big moves to Roman Reigns and got a good chunk of his health out, but he still had a good bit left, so I expected him to kick out. He didn't. It's cool. Still made for a cool match. Still made for a cool story. 
But in this dream match, Roman Reigns went down to the ultimate opportunist, the old rated R superstar, Edge. So gamers, it is time for that graveyard shout out of the month. What has been on my mind after seeing it on Time Hop over and over again for the last month? Well, I gotta tell you something. Last month it was a close second, but this month it is definitely Rise of the Tomb Raider. I spent all month checking it out, seeing the screenshots to the point that I got so hyped that I'm like, you know what? This summer I would definitely like to replay that entire series. Even downloaded the Tomb Raider 2013 game for PS4, reinstalled Rise, reinstalled Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So without a doubt, if you can inspire me to the point that I want to play your entire series again, then hey, you definitely deserve the shout out of the month. So Rise of the Tomb Raider... One of my favorite games of this generation, by the way. You are the shout-out of the month. Well, gamers, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as we finally finished those three pillars of gaming. Now, next week, I'm actually going to talk about the foundation that those three pillars sit on. So look out for that. I hope you enjoyed talking about some of my favorite games that I think do a great example of highlighting how gameplay can be imported for gaming. I'd always love to know your thoughts on those. What do you think about what I'm playing on the Graveyard Shift, my Dream Match, and my Shout Out of the Month? Any of that stuff, anything we talked about, let me know. TheGraveyardGamer at gmail.com. You can reach me by email. Also, at the same time, you can hit me up on Instagram at TheGraveyardGamer or on Twitter at TheGraveyardG, where I'm always trying to post new pictures every day of what I have been playing. So with that being said, guys, until next time, I'll be creeping around the graveyard. <laughs>